Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford, the only speed writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. I'm joined by Dalton Middleton, our Mississippi State writer. We'll talk a little baseball, looking back, looking ahead, a little football, spring football wrapped up for Mississippi State, getting that way for Ole Miss. Dalton, how are you, man? Parrish, man, I'm all right. I'm uh, you know, I'm doing good. I mean, there's no complaints over here early in this week. Uh, just uh, life is a uh, life is how it is in Starville this week so far. Nothing crazy going on over here. Well, it, it's still early, man. You could always uh, you can always complain a little bit. You know, it's America. You can complain. So. Oh yeah, there's there's yeah. plenty to complain about. I'm sure overall, but nothing over here that, for me yet this week. Well, that's so good. We'll, that's, we'll see what happens the rest of the week. Yeah, that that that's a good. Uh, a good state of being, man, when you, you don't have uh, anything to complain about. Hey, folks, uh, we would like to thank our partners, the Oxford Park Commission, for coming along for the ride. OPC is gearing up for summer day camp. You can apply online at OxfordParkCommission.com. This is for kids ages 5 to 13. Cost is $300 per camper per session. Sessions run June 1 to 25 and July 5 to 30. Drop-off is each day at 7.30. Pickup is 5.30. Games, arts and crafts, swimming and outdoor activities are just some of the events. Some of the activities campers will take part in daily. And OPC is looking for lifeguards for the city pool for the summer. The season starts Memorial Day and runs through Labor Day candidates must be at least 16 and have a current lifeguard certification. Contact Aquatics Director Jamie Chandler at jamie at oxfordparkcommission.com or just apply online at oxfordms.net. That's J-A-M-I-E at oxfordparkcommission.com if you have questions. Uh, Dalton, it was, man, I, this pandemic, man, I feel like I see you three times a week. Um with uh, with the Zoom with with the podcast, but we really don't see each other, and it was it was kind of odd to see uh, Dalton Middleton there, like uh, in in full life form there, and in, in the non functional baseball press box at uh, Duty Noble Field. Um, it's kind of good, but uh, it was interesting series. Well, what did you take away from it? Uh, well, my biggest takeaway is uh, well, obviously, I think we'll, we'll hit on this, but I think my biggest takeaway was the management of the Ole Miss bullpen was a little rough, um, I thought. But uh, other than that, I think, um, you know, State, I think State showed me exactly what they've showed me all year. You know, they uh, they get the the small hits, you know, they, they play small ball, they do what they got to do to win, and then all of a sudden one big hit kind of opens up the game and the pitching holds on to it. And I think that's really what State's shown throughout the entire season is, you know, even whenever your starters struggle, um, like they did this weekend, you know, the bullpen is so deep and there's so many guys in that bullpen who are, who are so talented that, uh, if the offense can even muster up any kind of lead a one run, two run lead, it's usually, um, at least halfway safe. Um, and so that's really what, what I took away from it was, um, you know, state did what state needed to do to, to get that super regional regional host spot. And, um, we're going to see if they can carry some of that momentum into the Vanderbilt series this weekend, or if they're going to, um, you know, lay down and be a, have a little hangover from the, from the rivalry. 
Yeah, I want to hit that uh, Ole Miss bullpen. Why, why not? Everybody else has. We'll talk Ole Miss bullpen here in, in, in just a second. But the, you brought up uh, the uh, <laughs> you brought up the, the regional host and the super regional. And look, that's what everybody is is fighting for through the regular season. And these games are huge in that regard. And Ole Miss has now lost three consecutive series. And, and if you fashion yourself. Uh, uh, a regional host, as the Rebels do, they want to put themselves in position for that. Really, uh, every season, uh, and and national seed when you can get there. If, if those are your goals, uh, Ole Miss is really uh, behind the eight ball on that right now. Uh, it was a big series for the Rebels in Starkville, uh, having already come off series losses uh, against Florida and Arkansas, and it's not so much the games and the record right now for Ole Miss Dalton. They're nine and six. You know, it's not a bad, it's not a bad place to be at the turn. Uh, nine and six, 15 games, you're halfway into 30 game season, but you don't have the opportunity to make that late push this season. Those regional host sites are going to come out May 12th. And right now, when you look at, uh, at the teams Ole Miss would be behind in that pecking order, uh, they've lost to Florida. They've lost to Arkansas. They've lost to Mississippi State. Uh, you look at Vanderbilt being up there, probably uh, Tennessee. Uh, there's going to be a push from South Carolina now. Look, Ole Miss might be seventh uh, in that conversation at the moment. And, um, you know, you, you get into that discussion about, well, how many SEC sites will they take? And, look, they've just really put themselves uh, on the edge of the conversation as opposed to being uh, solidly in, uh, as I think uh, Mississippi State would be right now, as the Bulldogs would be uh, if that decision was made today. When when you look at uh, at the Rebels, yeah, 9-6, and six, not a bad place to be, and they can start winning games. But of all those teams there that I think would be ahead of them in the conversation, they only play one of those teams. You know, they – the haze in the barn with uh, with State, with Florida, with Arkansas. They're, those series are done. They've got a series with uh, South Carolina coming up uh, after the LSU series uh, this weekend. So they, they don't have the opportunity really to make up ground against others who will be competing for the same goal. So it was a, it was a big series uh, for both teams for that reason, resume building. And I look back at uh, – at Ole Miss, and, and and obviously the bullpen was uh, was troublesome. But when I think how – when the Rebels were successful in the series, they pounded hits, 17 hits in game two. Doug Nikhazy was the story of the game, a, a complete game shutout, a one-hitter, a nine-to-nothing win. The Ole Miss offense was kind of overshadowed in game two on Saturday, but they had 17 hits now, in the two losses in the series – they were three for 21 with runners on base, got runners on base, had some opportunities, but didn't uh, didn't get the runs around the bases and get them home. Uh, you mentioned bullpen management, and that is something that I've seen. Uh, that's a phrase I've heard a lot on uh, in our Facebook group, Ole Miss Discussion with Parrish Alford, lots of uh, uh, discussion on that topic. I just don't – it didn't strike me as being odd or different or strange, uh, the management of the bullpen. 
I know what Mike Bianco wants to accomplish. I know he wants a setup guy. He wants, and and this has become my new favorite phrase. I've used it uh, and I've seen it a couple of places. He wants the bridge to Broadway, the bridge to Broadway. He wants somebody to get him to Taylor Broadway, who has been an effective closer, an effective late innings guy, uh, eight saves right now. He, He wants somebody to get him there. And people have criticized uh, Josh Mallett, the freshman coming out as the first guy out of the bullpen. Uh, We've seen Tyler Myers, a senior. We've seen him getting loose. Look, there is nobody in that bullpen right now, Dalton, that you look at and the other team fears. You know, you don't fear anybody in that bullpen. There's nobody that comes out and they're just locked down. You know, that, that, that option is not there. And, I usually fall back. I usually defer to coaches to know their talent better than I know it, to know their guys better than I do. The other thing that I think was questionable, and and it has been questioned, is why not leave uh, Drew McDaniel in the game longer? He came out. He got the first out of the sixth. He goes five and a third, uh, two earned runs. I figure Mike Bianco felt like he knew McDaniel's wall was coming. Uh, he was he is a sophomore. It's kind of new in the situation. He was pretty good in a in a couple of SEC starts, or, or maybe just one SEC start um, when Nikhazy was out. But you know, again, that's that's coach's call. I mean, he felt like uh, the guy was hitting his wall. You know, would it have worked out differently if McDaniel had stayed in the game? Uh, certainly, uh, the bullpen was a mess. Uh, for the Rebels in that game three. I thought they competed well, but you get in there and you, you take your starter out of the game, and, and and then State gets hits with five of the next six batters. They, they get a run home. They load the bases, and you know Broadway comes in and in a very difficult situation and gives up a triple. I mean, it was ball game, man. That was, uh, that, that was the end of it right there. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it right there, and that's kind of the point I was going to make, was uh, Bianco knows this team better than, of course, than obviously I do, obviously anyone else does. Um, but the, the thing that you mentioned right there was kind of what was odd to me, um, and I'm not going to pretend to be a better coach or make a better decision, but I really thought Drew McDaniel, even if he was about to hit that wall, was kind of cruising at that time. You know, I think he had allowed, retired like 10 straight right before that or something, or he was kind of you know cruising through there. And um, they pulled him. I know I went I went to the press box and I walked over to where Jake Thompson was sitting, where you would have been sitting if uh, you would have been there on Sunday afternoon. And I was just like, what, what, what is, uh, why are they bringing in this, uh, the Mallets kid? And, uh, and, and Jake was like, oh, you know, he's pitched a few games in SEC play. But then I was like looking at his stats and, you know, his last appearance or whatever it was last weekend against Arkansas, um, he got hit for like six runs, you know, he got hit for like six hits on six runs on six hits in 1.1 innings. And I was just like, I don't know about this one. Like that, that seems like that could be a weird call. And then of course, you know, he comes out and, and state hits him for three straight singles. He gets pulled. And then, um, trying to think of who the next guy that came out of the, uh, came out of the bullpen was, but I mean, he gets, a, he allows a single to tie the game. And then he gets out of the inning initially with that, that ground ball. But, uh, it was just a tough play to make for Jacob Gonzalez and uh, ends up being an infield single because Rowdy Jordan's one of the fastest guys on the team. And then, of course, you bring in um, Taylor Broadway. He gets behind in an account to the only guy on the team you probably don't want to get behind on the count to. 
and then like you said, the triples that's ball game. And uh, yeah, it's a, I don't want to pretend to know the the, the team better than uh, Bianco does. I just I just I thought it was a little weird that one that he pulled McDaniel when he did, and two that he brought in a kid that last time out gave up six runs in one inning. You know, I just I just thought that was a little odd. But like you said, uh, you know, there's nobody in that bullpen that fe- that you fear. So like maybe they're uh, maybe that was just maybe the best option. I don't know. Yeah, it was a matchup thing, and that was. Really I've heard enough. people say, "What? What about Tyler Myers?" Well, I mean, he's done it some. He's had mixed results. He does have more experience. Uh, you know, when you hear Mike Bianco talk about pitchers, you hear him talk about stuff. The stuff is electric, and the stuff moves, or what? You know, you, you hear all the the baseball cliches, and so I, I think he probably likes Mallet's movement on his pitches. Uh, Mallet's ability to uh, uh, command a, a little better. But, again, there is no clear answer in that bullpen right now. Um, I've heard people mention Wes Burton. Uh, Burton can come in and, and and do some things. But, you know, his control is not good right now. And he showed that uh, last night uh, against Little Rock. Look, it's just uh, – it, it's there's not a clear answer. The, the thing to do here – and it's easy to second guess and say McDaniel should have stayed in that uh, in that Sunday game longer in that game three. Um, maybe that would have worked out. I think it would be the move to make going forward because again, I've not seen anything, including last night against Little Rock, that uh, makes me think that there's a clear answer. Um, but before he made the change, yes, McDaniel was uh, was getting people out but State was getting better contact against him at that stage of the game. They were beginning to figure him out. They were getting some lift on some balls. They were getting some balls in the air on a real windy day, had some balls hit kind of deep in the outfield. You know, I feel like uh, you know, I feel like the end was coming, but sometimes pitchers recover. You know, sometimes they, they get past that, they get a second win, they do better. When I look at, uh, at pitching at Ole Miss right now, I thought – Look, these guys need very good starting pitching to have a chance to win this series, and they got it. In three games, they got very good starting pitching. We have seen Mike Bianco teams before where the bullpen has been suspect, but there's been one guy, and and Scott Biddle comes to mind here, years ago where it doesn't matter when it is, where it is in the game, when the game is on the line, when the game is at the most critical point, you bring him in. And I know that you want the bridge to Broadway, but you don't have that right now. And it may be time to ask a little more of the starters and turn it over to Broadway whenever, whenever the time comes. And uh, Sunday in game three, it looks like for Mike Bianco, that time was one out in the sixth. And he used two other guys before he got to Broadway. It might be time to uh, to rethink that. Yeah, and that, that could be definitely a thing to to look at going forward. And uh, you know, you mentioned State getting better contact. You, we've seen that throughout the year. Um, it, that State will really struggle in the early innings hitting wise. And then uh, the, the the one of the things that State does well offensively, which you know this year isn't much. Um, is that they they can really get to a pitcher. Um, you know, you didn't see that Saturday, of course, with McKaysey. I think McKaysey just got into a groove and had the best game of his career, um, which is which happens. Um, but what State does well is they get pitchers to, you know, when they're starting to get wore down a little bit, they start, you know, breaking through. Like they kind of did against uh, Hoagland in, in, 
Friday, you know, um, he was pitching well. And then, you know, they struck first, of course, they struck a couple times early, but then, you know, that six, seventh inning, I think they scored one or two runs. I think it was one run on them to kind of take the lead. And then, um, that's what they do well is they, they just get they get to the pitcher late and they don't score much early innings and then I think like seventy five percent of their scoring comes from the sixth inning on, um and and so that's kind of what happened I feel like and you know they they finally wake up like you mentioned them getting the extra contact I think uh do I think it was inevitable no I think if you know Ole Miss may have played that a little better they obviously could have won that game that was a that was a very winnable game for Ole Miss but uh. The state offense does wake up towards the end of the game. So I think uh, Bianca may have known that and uh, saw that wall coming, like you mentioned. Um, what do you make of state right now at nine and six? What do you think happens in the, the back half of the season? Well, it's 10 and five right now. Uh, that's um, right. 10 and five. Yeah. They, they won the game. They won the Sierra game up. Yeah. So they, so they got, they got five series left. They got Vanderbilt, uh, Texas A&M, South Carolina, um, Missouri and Alabama. And so I think, you know, I said last week, uh, I, I said, if, if Mississippi state can win three out of three between Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, uh, a three out of six, I'm sorry. If they can go three and three between Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, I think they're in really good shape because, uh, you know, the, those last four series, if they're sitting at 11 and seven after this weekend, I mean, the last three, I think are, you know, the last four series between South Carolina, Texas A&M, Alabama, Missouri, I really think that State could possibly go nine and three in that, um, you know, 10 and two. And if South Carolina is going to be really tough, but between Texas A&M, Alabama, Missouri, you know, those, none of nothing those three teams throw at you kind of, uh, I would think scares me as somebody who's watching, you know, I think, you know, State is, State has, uh, when, when they play the teams that they should beat this year, they have beaten them. Um, and so I think that the, the the rest of the SEC series looks good for them. If they could somehow go out and win two out of three or sweep Vanderbilt this weekend, which doesn't really seem possible at any point from any team, um, you know, they'll be in really good shape and still be able to compete for the SEC championship. But uh, I think that Arkansas is going to probably have that wrapped up as long as they don't mess around towards the end of the season. But uh State's in good shape. I think they're definitely going to get uh, – if they play the way they should, like they have the last – the first five weeks, um, they should have themselves a super regional, regional host, and they should have a um, a good a good standing in the SEC tournament uh, ready for them. Well, Ole Miss uh, begins SEC play Thursday night against uh, LSU, two teams really in uh, desperate need of a series win. So we'll see how that, uh, that plays out. Uh, spring football, Dalton, um, the Bulldogs wrapped it up with the uh, maroon and white game. Uh, what did you see? Yeah, I saw you know, a couple of standouts. The, 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 um, honestly, the, the scrimmage, I guess, you know, the game wasn't very good. Um, it wasn't very, it wasn't very energetic. It was, and Mike Leach mentioned that in the post game presser. It was just kind of like he w- he wished there was more energy. It was just kind of like, you know, it was just a glorified practice. You just went out there, they're throwing around and basically just playing against each other. But, uh, you know, Jack Abraham played, uh, he probably had one of the better days for the, the quarterbacks. Um, you know, obviously he's an Oxford kid, but, uh, he finished 23 of 34 for 162 yards and two touchdowns. So he had a pretty good day at at quarterback. Um, Will Rogers was also pretty good. Um, I think he, he started slow and, 
but but then by the end of the game, you know, they took Abraham out and let Chance Lovertich play some, but Will Rogers stayed for the entire game. Um, and so he kind of racked up, I think, 250 yards by the end of the day, something like that. And he ended up having a decent day. Um, but Jack Abraham, I think, has really uh, closened that quarterback race. I don't know who's going to be the starter, but, you know, Jack Abraham has performed well the last few weeks. Um, you know, they're not, they said this was going to be completely different when it comes back in the spring or it comes back in the fall, summer, um, that quarterback competition is going to start over all over again. But, um, I think Abraham's put himself in a good spot to maybe take over that spot. But, uh, I think it's Will Rogers still to lose, but, uh, you know, there was a couple things that stuck out to me. Um, Jaden Wally, the, uh, you know, he had a really good game in the egg bowl. He had four straight 100 yard receiving games last year, um, he went down with a leg injury early, like in the like early in the first quarter, midway through the first quarter. Um, Robbie Falk with twenty four seven has come out and said that he talked to his mom. It's a sprained MCL, um, so it could have been a lot worse. Uh, he's he'll he'll be out for a little bit of time, but the way the injury looked and the way he was helped off the field, it could have been a lot worse than a sprain. Um, and so that's 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 good for State that he's going to be able to play in the fall still because. Uh, He's probably the best playmaker on offense. Um, but then on defense, you, you saw a couple of guys stand out as well. Jet Johnson, Tupelo kid, um, yeah. he ended up with 16 tackles in the game. You know, he was he's the backup middle linebacker, but he was starting for the white team or the maroon team. So they had split up the two starters or the two, the one and two on the depth chart, one start on one team, one start on the other. He ended up with 16 tackles, a pass breakup, had a pretty good day. He was, he was all over the field. And then uh, Jalen Green, who State brought in to, uh, to kind of bulk up that uh, the defense from Texas. He was a former five-star defensive back, from, and he went to Texas and transferred here. He had a good day. I think he had uh, two tackles for loss. You know, he was kind of – he came down and, and blitzed a few times, and um, he was doing that. He also had a really good hit on Will Rogers, uh, made a really poor decision – throwing the ball backwards to a running back and got uh, Dylan Johnson killed back there. He got hit really hard, fumbled the ball before he could even recover it, um, before he could even catch it. You know, Will Rogers just set him up to get smoked. And uh, Jalen Green hit him, knocked the ball loose, and then picked it up and ran it, returned 20 yards. So, you know, his first action with MSU, he scores a 20-yard touchdown on defense. So, I think he's the guy that's going to make an instant impact on defense, which is someone in the, especially in the secondary, which is what they need. But um, other than that, you know, there wasn't anything crazy. Um, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but one of state's most experienced receivers following the spring game has now entered the transfer portal. So um, that was a uh, Javante Payton. He, he had started, I think he had started a, a number of games, but he's played in 22 in the last two years. He was a transfer from Northwest community college. Um, he decided to enter his name in the transfer portal. He played in the spring game. He had two catches for 29 yards, but uh, obviously he did not like the role that he was playing, so he entered his name in there, and I guess he's going to be gone. But, uh, you know, that's that's something to watch. I guess the transfer portal's uh, eating people up in the spring, too. I didn't – the transfer portal always seems to get me. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> always realize how of a year-round thing it is because, you know, this, this guy just went through the entire spring practice as one of the starting receivers, and then all of a sudden he's like, huh, I just want to go to the transfer portal. Yeah. Well, we need uh, Jaden Wally's mom to get over to uh, Ole Miss and, and give us some scoop on the injury situation over there, man, if she's she's going to be breaking that injury news. 
Uh, certainly, uh, the, the Rebels have had a lot, and, and uh, Lane Kiffin doesn't talk about injuries, at least not in specifics. Uh, it does sound like uh, that uh, this is just minor uh, spring stuff, camp stuff, uh, things that uh, won't keep players out of practice or out of playing uh, next fall. So we'll see. Uh, but it has kept uh, Lane Kiffin from really uh, – making a lot of evaluations, particularly on offense. That seems to be where the number of, uh, of missing is, is higher. Uh, and he told us this week that it's really kept, uh, kept Matt Corral from really advancing. He's just kind of been okay in the spring. Uh, he hasn't had uh, as much deep ball success as we saw him have in some games last year, but he hasn't been throwing to Braylon Sanders or, Jonathan Mingo, or those guys have been out most of spring. I think Mingo has come back uh, a little bit. But that's going to be a, the big question on, on offense is replacing uh, Elijah Moore, and I think they're going to be able to do that. I, I just think, look, as talented as Elijah Moore, and what a phenomenal season last year, really overlooked a lot in, in, uh, in the national conversations uh, about wide receivers, but he led the nation in yards per game, catches per game. Uh, you could see the chemistry early between he and Matt Corral. And now it looks like he's worked his way into, uh, according to many of the mock drafts, a, a first-round pick. So that's, you know, sketchy. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Could be a first-round pick, uh, Elijah Moore. I, I think he'll be replaced. I think that uh, you can find people to run and catch. The hard thing to find in college football is that quarterback who uh, makes the reads and makes the throws on time and really has uh, awareness and, and just presence uh, in the pocket and for running the offense. And, and the Rebels are fortunate to have uh, Matt Corral back for another year. I think Braylon Sanders is going to turn out to be a very dependable deep threat if he stays healthy. And uh, he had the ankle injury against LSU that ended the season for him Last year, he's had various uh, injuries uh, throughout his career. But when he has been healthy, he's a guy who can get downfield, get separation, and make plays. I really like the idea of Jonathan Mingo in the slot. Uh, He kind of moved there uh, after uh, Elijah Moore opted out uh, for the last two games. I like the matchup uh, situation that he brings for Ole Miss in that position. And, look, the biggest strength for Jonathan Mingo is physicality, and he's going to be a yards-after-the-catch guy. And I think slot receiver gives him a better opportunity to catch a quick pass and take advantage of that. So the bottom line is Matt Corral is going to have targets. Um, I think what you're going to see on offense from Ole Miss is not the number of balls going to one receiver as they did last year. I think they're going to be – spread around, and I think guys we're not talking about right now are going to emerge and be impact players. The question for this team, really, as as they close spring practice uh, this Saturday with the Grove Bowl, look, the question's defense. They know it. Uh, how can you get better on defense? And they were very intentional during recruiting and signed about uh, 14 guys on that side of the ball. A lot of them were early uh, entry guys who have been able to compete. And uh, some of them have, have made big impacts and, uh, in spring ball. And the, a name we keep hearing a lot uh, 
is Tysheem Johnson, a four-star safety uh, uh, out of Philadelphia. Uh, that's the Pennsylvania one, not the Mississippi one. Um, five foot ten, and just really a guy who, from all accounts, will hit you. A uh, very physical player, and and has some uh, speed and athleticism as well. And there are just a number of other newcomers there uh, in the secondary and uh, up front. You know, a lot of emphasis, a lot of focus on the two junior college guys, Jamon Gordon and Isaiah Iton. Um, they've got to get better there. They, they've got to get some push along the defensive line, particularly the interior. And, and I think these guys will help them do that. They haven't had monster springs. We talk about uh, the injuries and guys being limited. Uh, they're, in, they're in that crew. You know, they uh, Gordon has played a little bit. Iton's been out. Don't know exactly, uh, you know, details on that. We don't hear details of injuries, but I think they're going to be better there, Dalton. When you look at Ole Miss, and and when we talk defensive line, we're talking specifically about the interior. Uh, they did okay. They they got some play from Sam Williams. They you know got some rush from Sam Williams off the edge last year. Tavius Robinson. A little bit. Ryder Anderson was good there. He's no longer back. He's no longer with the team. It's got to be the interior. Uh, they've got to get some push. They've got to make some plays on the other side of the ball. And I think the guys they've brought in, plus the guys they have returning and a little bit of development, I think they're going to be able to move some pieces in and out, rotate some guys, keep some guys fresh. I think they're going to be better on the line, and they're bringing in an amazing talent uh, in August in Taiwan Malone, the four-star tackle out of uh, New Jersey. And Dalton, when you talk, when you look at Alabama through the years, you look at these great teams, great defenses they have had through the years. I know right now uh, with Alabama, the focus is quarterback and, and wide receiver and offense in those positions. But you look at back when Nick Saban started this run. They had great – they had elite interior defensive linemen. They had the 310-pound guys who could who could move their feet, who could use a spin move, who could chase down a guy. I mean, they had elite athleticism at that position, and I think that's what Malone is going to bring uh, when he gets to campus. Now he's going to be a true freshman. You know, does he reach that level of play quickly? I don't know, but I think he's going to have – certainly he's going to have the athleticism, the skill level that he's going to factor in this season. And when you put all that together, I think they're going to be better on the defensive line. They return their tacklers or playmakers and even add a guy in a Maryland transfer, Chance Campbell. Uh, they return linebackers. They've got a lot of new parts and pieces in the secondary. And they returned a, a couple of decent players, A.J. Finley, uh, back there at free safety. You put all that together, I just think the defense is going to improve, and it doesn't have to be a top 10 defense. You got a top 10 offense, okay? Offense is going to make plays. They won five games last year, and we're in position to win a couple of more in spite of the defense, not because of it. So you take this unit right now, and if it becomes a top 50, a top 40 defense, which I think is very attainable, then Ole Miss looks uh, a lot different. So 
Anyway, folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, the podcast that talks SEC through the lens of Mississippi. Check us out online at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. We're on Facebook as well, Ole Miss Discussion with Parrish Alford, Mississippi State Discussion with Dalton Middleton. Lots of good things in those groups. Folks, thanks for being with us. Come back and join us tomorrow.